Hello, everyone. This is Erica Spicer Mason with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm thrilled to be joined by Stephanie No, the Managing Director of Payer and Provider Integrated Solutions at Tegria. Today, Stephanie is going to talk with us about interoperability in healthcare. Stephanie, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me today. So as Erica mentioned, I'm Stephanie O, and I am a managing director on our pair team at Tigria. So in our my role at Tigria, I oversee our Epic Pair line of business, government programs, and what we are broadly referring to as pair provider collaborations, which includes interoperability. Basically, I'm looking at how we can help payers and providers work better together, utilizing things like interoperability to really help impact patient care and ultimately outcomes through initiatives like value-based care programs. So prior to coming to Tegria, I worked in roles across healthcare. Like many Tegrians, I worked at Epic, but I also worked at payers like Elevance and Humana, working on value-based care and utilizing data and analytics to inform and enhance care initiatives and in provider organizations like Cedars-Sinai and UCLA in roles ranging from performance improvement to help with hospital operations um, to practice management. And I'm very excited to share what I'm seeing in the industry and hearing from our clients around interoperability today. Thank you so much, Stephanie. What a fantastic introduction. And it sounds like you have so many insights that you're going to be able to bring to the table today. Um, you know, I love what you said in your intro about helping payers and providers work better together. And I know for so many healthcare leaders right now, that's really top of mind. So excited to dig into this topic of interoperability. Now, I know that healthcare stakeholders have cited this concept of interoperability as really integral to bettering operations, efficiency, and also enabling digital innovation. So can you briefly share with us what interoperability is, just to kind of set the stage, and also how the healthcare industry's stance on this concept has evolved recently? Yeah, of course, Erica. So I, I think everybody defines interoperability a little differently. So in practice, interoperability looks different from organization to organization. So I think it's a good idea to maybe level set a little bit um, on how I will be talking about interoperability today. So I'm gonna grab a little definition from the Oxford Dictionary. The Oxford Dictionary defines interoperability as the ability of computer systems or software to exchange and make use of information. So let's kind of keep a note of that and I'll get back to this def definition in a minute. Interoperability has been talked about for a long time, Erica. How long you ask? Well, let's think about this. CMS has a promoting interoperability program and that program cites the 2011 Medicare and Medicaid electronic health record incentive program as the start of promotion of interoperability. So that's not the start of interoperability talks in healthcare, but that was over a decade ago. And by no means was that the beginning of, of anything, right? So Erica, this is not a new concept in healthcare. So why are we still all talking about this? It's because we still have a long way to go. So let's go back to that definition in the Oxford Dic Dictionary. The ability of computer systems or software to exchange and make use of information. 
The CMS regulations have defined minimum requirements for data to be exchanged and some guidelines on how that information should be exchanged. But making use of that information is still in the works. So far, we have done a good job satisfying or you know, saying that data needs to go from point A to point B, and it needs to be in a machine-readable format. I don't know about you, Erica, but machine-readable format doesn't necessarily translate to me being able to make immediate use of that information. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have to happen to make it accessible to the average user, so this is why we are still talking about interoperability. Things are happening to move us along, but it's just moving really, really slowly. I think your other question was, how has this evolved in recent years? Well, up until recently, organizations have generally been content with meeting compliance. Data is exchanged, checkbox, right? But the data has largely just been sitting there, not being used in any meaningful way, which is that second part of that Oxford definition. However, some organizations in recent years have started to act on this data and gather more data to move beyond compliance and use interoperability to drive business goals in targeted areas. So one of those areas is clinical data exchange. We're starting to see some payer provider collaborations in exchanging clinical data to help support some more targeted use cases like risk adjustment, HEDIS, which is helping to improve operations and reduce administrative burden for activities like chart chasing and auditing and kind of moving into prior authorization, which is also top of mind for many of our clients. So I think in the recent years, the industry's stance on this concept of interoperability has really gone from a, let's check the box and do what we're supposed to because we're being told to, let's be a little bit more innovative and kind of jump the curve a little bit and see what else we can do with this idea of interoperability to really support our operations and improve um, member care. Yeah, thank you so much for that background. I think that's so helpful. At least I can speak for myself. It's really helpful for me to hear that evolution and how we're really, the healthcare industry is really shifting into that mindset of, okay, this concept has been slow to adopt, but now we're realizing how it can really help reduce some of the the biggest issues that we're seeing in healthcare, uh, like administrative burden. I know that was one that you mentioned and of course, quality scores. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities here. And I wanted to touch just a little bit more on payers. Um, how is this current climate of interoper interoperability really affecting payers who I know manage really big amounts of data? So what's the impact on their technology-related decisions and their offerings and maybe even some of their goals or metrics? Yeah, Erica, I think that's a, that's a really great question and great point. There's a lot of data um, in healthcare. So I'm going to answer your question in, in the two parts that you asked. First off, massive amounts of data is correct. And Erica, massive amounts of data is fine. The problem for most organizations is that it's massive amounts of siloed data. Um, so that's data that lives in pockets throughout the organization. It isn't normalized, meaning this data point versus this data point over here isn't actually the same data point, even though it looks like it is. Um, it's 
isn't easily usable by most of the organization. This is why we've seen clients struggle with getting different outcomes depending on the way they're using the data or depending on where they're getting the data from, um, from, from this data warehouse versus that data warehouse in a different area of the organization. So an example of this is, you know, an inpatient admission risk score. Um, you may be getting different outcomes for that risk score calculation, even if you're using the same models, depending on where you're getting that data from. And so we've seen this at clients before where, you know, a risk score for one member is different from a risk score from an, the same member because it's a different area of the organization and the area is the data is so siloed that they're pulling it from different warehouses. And so you would think you'd get the same score, but because the data is different and they're housed differently, it's not normalized or getting different um, outcomes, which is not good for anybody. What we're starting to see though, is that payers are starting to add clinical data to the mix, like I mentioned earlier, so now on top of disparate data pockets throughout the organization, we now have a new source of data that we've never had before. So now the questions are, well, where do I put it? Which pocket do I put it in? Or should I create a new pocket? How do I mix it into my data sandbox? Is it going to play nicely in that sandbox with the other data that I have? And more importantly, what do I do with it? Um, so historically, payers have been able to make it work and really deal with the siloed data and running their operations. But now with the clinical information and a need to find better ways to work with providers using new payment models and, and other um, ways that they need to collaborate and exchange data, this is really forcing a lot of payers to take a long, hard look at their data infrastructure and data strategy. Does that make sense, Erica? A lot going on with a, oh, a lot of massive data. <laughs> yes, I am following. I, I'm coming with a little uh, slight advantage here. I I have experience working at payer organizations, so I completely understand this issue of siloed data that you're talking about. So all of this is uh, completely tracking. <laughs> Thanks for checking. <laughs> um, so I think the the second part of your question is what is the impact to their technology related related decisions, offerings, and goals. Well, I mentioned looking at an overall data strategy as, as a general impact, right? But there are more specific ripples in the technology payers we're looking to adopt. So this can be its own talk altogether, but I'm gonna focus on clinical data exchange since it's top of mind for many of our clients. Clinical data acquisition is hot and heavy in the minds of most of our clients. And this can really span from looking for a vendor or maybe multiple vendors uh, to help with the data acquisition. And these questions, these are questions like, what data can you get? How quickly can you get it? What is the work effort required? Are there specific EHRs you can get data from or can't get data from? What about the other providers that I can't get data from? Like, do I need another vendor for that? Um, who do I who who do I contract with that maybe isn't even on an EHR yet? How do I get that information, right? These are big questions that, that payers are asking. It can also be use case development of what to do with the data to support operations or value-based care arrangements. So 
I have the data acquisition piece figured out. I have the vendors lined up. But now what do I do with the data? What are my use cases? How am I going to interact with that? Um, and then it could also be how to have more transparency with provider partners and sharing data and insights at the point of care. So I have data. I did all kinds of analytics on the data. And now I have some actionable insights of what's going on with my membership population. But I need to partner with my providers and figure out, well, how do I get that information to the providers when it's going to be most useful for them when the member's in front of them or they have, you know, have them on the phone. Um, so there are a large number of things that, that need to be considered when we're talking about clinical data exchange. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. sorry, Stephanie, please. <laughs> I was going to say interoperability in this way is affecting kind of all of the above that you asked about, Erica. Yeah, I really appreciate how you outlined that, Stephanie. And I think it just goes to show when we're talking about clinical data exchange, it's not necessarily just about the silos that exist within one organization, but that partnership between both organizations, both entities, payers and providers is so critical um, for this concept of interoperability to be achieved, it sounds like. Yeah, it's definitely affecting kind of how payers are looking at technology, the technology choices that they're making, um, as well as kind of the overall experience that, you know, payers want their provider partners and members to have, right? This is mm -hmm. how they're going to be interacting with their provider partners. This is how care is going to be delivered to their members. Um, and so all of this is really impacting an organization's strategic goals and they're having to figure out where they're going to put their money in the coming years to help accommodate this clinical data strategy. Right, right. A lot to consider. And Stephanie, I want to shift gears just a little bit and go back to a concept that we talked about earlier um, in regards to interoperability. You had mentioned in the evolution of interoperability, how compliance used to be something that payers, as an example, would just kind of want to check the box on. So where we stand now, where does compliance really fit in with interoperability? And can you also describe how payers and providers can help one another meet or even exceed those benchmarks? Definitely, Erica. I think to me, this is an interesting question because I see it being interpreted in two different ways, given what clients are coming to us about. So there's compliance from a CMS interoperability regulatory standpoint. So the the checking the box um, and say they're doing the things that CMS says they need to do when they need to be done. But when I think of compliance, um, based off of some of our more recent conversations with clients, I think of this new wave of interoperability with clinical data exchange. Clinical data exchange requires a certain level of collaboration and trust between payers and providers that hasn't necessarily been there in the past, right? The the second interpretation of compliance that I think of when you ask me this question is in this context. So direct clinical data exchange requires providers to be willing to share data with payers. The most common question I've heard from providers when engaging in these initiatives is how is this data going to be used by the payer? Is it going to be used to negative, negatively affect claims or outcomes or contract negotiations? This is a fear um, that some providers have had 
when these conversations come up between payers and providers to share data. But this has also been an opportunity for payers and providers to work together to solve these issues. I've seen payers and providers get their legal teams together, which actually, frankly, a lot of the payers and providers were kind of shocked um, that this was an option, right? Get your legal teams together. Let's sit at the same table. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about compliance and privacy concerns and walk through data use agreements and really have a level of comfort on both sides of how this data is going to be used and that you know we're gonna work collaboratively and this is going to be something that's good for both sides of the, or both organizations involved. And this has really helped improve the collaboration and trust between payers and providers. A really small step to being you know, truly collaborative in the way that we need payers and providers to be, but it's a step nonetheless. So I think the other part of your question is, you know, how do we meet and exceed some of these benchmarks? This is where, you know, I've also seen this happen. So clinical data exchange between payers and providers and the way we are starting to see it used today is beyond what CMS regulations currently dictate. And it's a way for payers and providers to, like I said, you know, really sit at the same table to find ways to improve operations on both sides come up with use cases together um, and ultimately improve the outcomes for the communities they serve. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Really appreciate that explanation and especially how you framed it, having seen the, or well, I should say, having interpreted compliance in two different ways. Really helpful to know that distinction. And uh, yeah, I think the way that you ex explained the clinical data exchange piece was really important. And it kind of leads me into my next question. You know, we were talking about this idea of an effective payer and provider collaboration. I think our audience really appreciates tangible examples. So are there any that come to mind for you of a really successful payer provider collaboration where both work together to better serve patients and also reduce costs? And if you can think of that example, how did interoperability factor in? You know, Erica, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but honestly, if you think about it, direct clinical exchange is a pretty good example of this. In order for a clinical data exchange to occur, payers and providers need to mutually agree that they will be exchanging data, agree on the data that they'll be exchanging, agree on use cases for that data, among a lot of other things that they must agree upon to make this happen, especially when it's bi-directional. So when I'm not only as a pair receiving information, but also sending information back to the provider. And sometimes sending information back to the provider may be interjections at the point of care. So it, it's really happening and, and to support these initiatives to, to help serve patients, members, depending on which side you're on, and reduce costs. So all of this collaboration is happening as a result of interoperability and clinical data exchange occurring between payers and providers. It's also being used to um, speed up, you know, processes like prior authorization by eliminating the need for providers to print out clinical notes or fax or email this information to the payer for prior authorization um, this not only reduces administrative burden for both sides, but also results in quick, quicker access for 
um, patients to these services that they need. And some of the other examples we've seen is clinical data exchange reduces the need for chart chasing. In fact, I know of an organization who was able to reduce chart chasing by 90% through the use of clinical data exchange. So let's think about the 90%. 90% reduction in chart chasing, that's 90% less time someone has to physically request charts from a provider, whether that be by calling on the phone, emailing, faxing requests, submitting requests through a portal. And on the flip side of that, that's 90% less requests that a provider as a whole um, has to respond to, whether that's emailing directly, printing, and then scanning and faxing because that's still happening in healthcare today, giving access to portals. So let's think about all that time saved and think about all of the other things that these resources can now do to help better serve the members. So I think this is definitely an interaction, a collaboration between payer and providers as a result of you know, going beyond the rules of interoperability, really focusing on other use cases using clinical data exchange and then really kind of reducing burden on both sides, but also just affecting outcomes or services that can be given to members with all of the extra time these resources have. Yeah, and I think those two examples of speeding up prior auths and other processes, and then also reducing chart chasing, as so many organizations are working to drive efficiency, I know that that's, that's really key. So. Appreciate those examples, Stephanie. And, you know, I've really, I've learned so much from our discussion today, and I just wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to add, anything we may have missed that you wanted our listeners to take away from our session. Yeah, thanks for asking, Erica, because I do have some food for thought to leave you in the audience with today. Um, you know, another word that has been floating around healthcare for as long as interoperability is value-based care. Um, so let's think about just how interoperability, um, just like interoperability, the industry has struggled to shift to value-based care or more specifically risk-based arrangements. This is a huge new hot topic for us with our clients ranging from how do we create better value-based care strategies for reimbursements? Sometimes it feels very one-sided um, where the payers have had to, you know, make the arrangements more beneficial for providers to get them to want to opt into these arrangements? Um, how do we reformat incentives so that we are driving the right behaviors with some of the incentives that we have for our physicians? Or how do we optimize current value-based care performance? How do we use data better? How do we exchange that information better? These are all the hot topics that are coming to us with our client conversations. But really what I want the audience to think about is with all this data, especially the addition of clinical data, I think this is a new opportunity for payers and providers to truly be collaborative, to work together and make value-based care work. I think you know a baseline requirement for all of this stuff to work is interoperability. So payers and providers really need to help each other through data transparency and sharing of insights to make everyone successful and give the members a great experience with outcomes to match. And so really like the audience are thinking about how do we be more innovative in this space and utilize interoperability to make healthcare, you know, less expensive 
and and better for for our communities. That's great, Stephanie. Food for thought around collaboration and value-based care innovation. Love it. I really appreciate you sharing your time and insights with us today. Thanks again so much for joining us. I'd also like to thank Tegria for sponsoring today's episode. To our audience, we hope that you tune into other Becker's podcasts at beckershospitalreview.com and have a wonderful rest of your day.